0: You're a little older and a lot wiser. The future is yours. Define aging on your own terms. Welcome to AARP Without Limits with your host, Mike Olander. Hello and welcome. This is AARP Without Limits, WPTF talk radio, disrupting aging with the power of 50,000 watts. And our podcast, available anytime on demand at WPTF.com or through our Facebook, AARP North Carolina. I'm your host, Mike Olander of AARP North Carolina, and we've got a great program for you today. Senator Gail Adcock is back with us to talk about her work in the state senate uh during what's been a very interesting year for our state legislature but first ladies and gentlemen as always i'm here with our esteemed production engineer mr jason kong jason how you doing this week buddy mike i'm pleased to be in your presence i I always got to give you kudos you are normally very well dressed i'm i'm really liking this uh quarter zip sweater that you have on today it's very nice nice color Thank you. Very vibrant red. It suits you very well. You know, I don't wear red, which is odd, except when I'm doing like AARP red stuff with our, our shirts or something like that. Typically, I don't wear red, but my mom got this for me a couple of years ago. And I think she kind of just sort of says, well, I hope he likes this, sends me off a you know Christmas present or a birthday present. And I told her, I was like, Mom, you really nailed Hit the nail right on she the head with it. this one. I don't have anything like this, and I really enjoy it from time to time. My mom has given up doing anything fashion-related for me, so kudos to Mama Olander. That that was a nice pick. She got it right. Mom, if you're listening, I appreciate it, and I'm wearing that uh, that red Lacoste quarter zip right now that you got me. Thank you. Uh, Jason, uh, so your week's been going pretty well or went pretty well last week? So far, so good. You know, the yep. fair's in town, so it's things have been fun. Great. That's right. State Fair is up and running, and we're definitely in the middle of some fall weather. Uh, I had a really, really great experience this last week, John uh, uh, Jason. Why do I keep mixing up your name today? I called him Jim earlier today, folks. I don't we'll know what's going on Jason. with me today. I've got to write down Jason on my, my note here. Um, last weekend was the weekend of the Ring of Fire Eclipse Um, which, of course, was not here in North Carolina. It was out west. So that meant that um, I hopped a plane. And I spent that weekend out in southern Utah, very short trip, flew in Friday morning, flew out Sunday morning. But it was a wonderful, wonderful um, uh, opportunity um, to go out there and experience to have um, I don't have Jason. Have you ever experienced any type of eclipse before, solar eclipse before? Uh, I haven't been in you know where the totality of the solar eclipse mm-hmm. has appeared. And I haven't experienced the ring of fire one. No, I am a mm-hmm. novice when it comes to uh, these natural eclipse. Well, I have to say, and I'm sure there are many of our listeners who are in the same boat. I'm sure some have, have got some curiosity. Others maybe don't really see what the big deal is, you know. And then for others of us, it's it's pretty significant. Um, I went out. I just thought it was going to be exciting. My friend and I went out, um, visited with some friends who live out there, flew into Salt Lake City, and drove down to Cedar City, which is about four miles um, south, um, and out into southern Utah, where – the landscape is just amazing. Red rock, you know, bluffs, plateaus, natural parks, uh, the Zion National Park, absolutely stunning. And to be able to see not a full total solar eclipse with totality and the stars above you and all that, but the Ring of Fire eclipse was just really, really uh, exciting just to have that beautiful landscape around you. And then we went through the park later on and got to experience that. But, um, I have to say, it was a reminder to me that there is, you know, a major event going on next year. April 8th is the next total solar eclipse, which goes over the mainland U.S. And I have to say, Jason, and anybody else who's listening, um, really consider going. Um, you know, this day and age, you know, there's so much going on, right? There's all this turmoil, terrible, terrible things going on in the world right now. There's such a, uh, a lack of connectedness between people. Um um, and their environment, you know, we're, we're, even though we're connected via social media, it's like the most anti-social thing. Um, and folks just are finding, you know, uh, that they're finding most of their enjoyment in life through, you know, checking their social media and getting a little dopamine fix and not experiencing what's out there. And uh, something like a total solar eclipse, is, which is something that only comes um every so often, very, very infrequent, um, is something really worth the time to just have an opportunity to say, "Wow, I mean, this is awesome. I had the experience to go with my family and see the total solar eclipse back in 2017. And I have to say, you know, even though I was looking forward to it and I had high expectations, it completely blew me away. It was way more significant of an experience for me than even I was prepared um, for at that moment. Um, you just, you know, you have the buildup. It's not a done deal. It's not, it's not a, a given thing. You know, you can go to, hey, I'm in, I'm in the, the zone of totality or the path of totality, but it's cloudy out. You're not going to see anything, right? You've got to have the right conditions. And so, um um, it's, uh, it's, it's not a given um, a guarantee. and But when you are there and you're experiencing it and you have just that brief couple of minutes of totality where everything around you, it looks like it's sunset and right above you is stars. And you can look at the sun without glasses and it's a black disc with the corona glowing around it. It is absolutely just, for me, it was mind-boggling. So I'm really, really excited. So some quick tips, uh, Jason, before we get into our program. um, For the folks who are considering uh, the total solar eclipse uh, in April, get your glasses early. Go on Amazon now. Buy them. Um, They will uh, become more rare and become more expensive as we get close. Number two, go to where you're going to see 100% totality. Some people think, oh, 95% is good enough. No, it's the sun's still bright. It's too bright for you to look at. You want to be in 100% totality. And number three, uh, be very flexible with your planning, because um, if you look at where the path is in April for the eclipse, it goes over, say, Cleveland, right, and say, okay, that's 100% totality. Can you guess what the weather's likely to be in April in Cleveland? Cloudy. You're probably right if you're guessing that. So be very, really, really flexible um, with what your plans are, so you, you you minimize your chances of cloud cover. So hope folks uh, take advantage of that. Um, I know I certainly will be. I'm already making my plans, and um, I'm hoping my kids enjoy it as much as they did when they were <laughs> when they were little back uh, five or six years ago. But let's get to uh, to the matter at hand here, Jason. As we've been speaking. Uh, on several of our editions here of ARP Without Limits, um, state budget uh, was a really important one for North Carolina this year. And um, I'm very happy uh, to continue the conversation with our first repeat state senator back here on the program, Senator Gail Adcock, who represents uh, North Carolina's 16th state senate district. Senator, thanks so much for being with us. We really appreciate you coming back.
1: Thanks for the repeat invitation.
0: <laughs> Anytime. Uh, the last time we had you here on our program, uh, you were within your first few months of serving in the state senate, and now you're about halfway about halfway through your first term almost, what have your been your impression so far about working with the Senate?
1: Yes, it's interesting to go back and revisit uh, that. Um, so what I have found the Senate to be is to have a very different culture and a very different pace from the House. Because, you know, I was in the House for uh, eight years. Um, it's a bit more predictable in terms of its scheduling um, than the House. You can you almost set your watch by it. Uh, debate is more measured and shorter. Of course, there are 50 of us versus 120, but we're in the same physical space. So it's just um, it's it's just a totally different vibe than the House was. I'll say the Senate has been, uh, all members of the Senate on both sides of the aisle have been quite welcoming to me. I mean, I had a similar experience in the House, but you just can't get to know everybody when you mm-hmm. have 120 people versus 50. I have a We all have more of a fighting chance when there are 50 of us. But so far, it's been a great fit. Um, I'm enjoying the committees I'm on. I got every committee assignment I asked for. So I got all my loves, you know, health, reg reform, uh, state and local government. Those are things that and uh, insurance and um, commerce, all things that kind of float my boat. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's been a great experience so far.
0: That's great. And that's an interesting point. And a lot of people think, and and this is true, I think too, with the federal government, they think the state Senate as this institution where people get along better than they do in the house. And a lot of people think, is it an institutional change? Like what's so different? And it's, Just like you said, the sheer number of people, it's fewer people. Mm -hmm. You work with them more closely than you do uh, with such a larger group.
1: I would say, I mean, you know, there's still some partisanship. There's still Mm -hmm. some ideological differences. That said, there's a lot of collegiality as well. You see it on the floor before we're gaveled in. People come in anywhere from, you know, 10 to 20 minutes before we're going to be gaveled in. And they don't sit in their seats and mind their business. They go out and they're talking to other members and often members of the other caucus mm-hmm. and so they're and then when we're gaveled in and we're getting ready to do that you know opening ceremony um people then go to their seats. so it's a it's a great it's a great feeling
0: mm, that's great to hear and I want to press a little bit more on that by that sense of bipartisanship because if you listen to the media if you look at your news feed if you you know go to Facebook if you open up your email you see such language that's so divisive, and folks, I think outside of um, elected office have a sense that everything is just so broken and so dysfunctional and not and and, and partisan. Um, but it's it's refreshing to hear that there's a lot more um, um, of a spirit of bipartisanship. Um, going on, that's that's out there. I, and I want to, after the commercial break, I want to ask you about Medicaid expansion and how that played out. But mm-hmm. it seems like one of those issues. For example, we've talked about this in the show before. Healthcare has always been, at least the last however many decades, such a partisan issue, right? Um, just a lot of you know what is the role of the federal of government or the state government, and then this this time with Medicaid expansion, they had um, a lot of strong voices on the Republican side leading the way. So was that? what's the difference between the state Senate and and the House in terms of that sense of partisanship?
1: Well, I I think that's the same, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I found a lot of bipartisanship uh, in the House, and I would say that's a very similar experience to the Senate. You know, it's interesting you talk about what the general public sees in every kind of media, whether it's social media or, or, you know, kind of regular media. And you do hear about the, about the 20% of the time that we have true ideological differences and we're quite vocal about those. But what you don't hear about is the 80% of the time when we agree on what the problem is, we agree on what the solutions are and we work on those together and we get along well and we'll either have unanimous votes or we'll have votes where it you know, it passes or it fails, but there's a mix of Democrats and Republicans voting yes and no. And when that happens, what that signals to me is that we have something really good going on. We found the sweet spot. When you got people from both ideological camps who can agree and disagree that something should be done, you usually know you've hit the mark. Mm. Um, and I look forward to talking to you about Medicaid expansion because, as you say, the Republicans led the way on this this session. Well, that's because they're in the supermajority. But the Democrats paved that path that then the Democrats and Republicans together walked to get Medicaid expansion done. One party or the other couldn't do it alone. We did it together, and we also did it with advocates strong, powerful, articulate, persistent um, advocates like AARP. We could not have done it without you guys.
0: Excellent. Well, we're going to talk to you more about that after the break. We've been speaking with Senator Gail Adcock, and we've got a lot more coming. This is AARP Without Limits. We'll be right back. And we are back. This is AARP Without Limits. Folks, just a reminder, we always love to hear from you. If you have a question, if you have a comment, if you have a suggestion for a future topic or a guest, please reach out to us. Send us an email You can email us at aarpwithoutlimits at aarp.org. We've been speaking today with Senator Gail Adcock, um, talking about um, her impressions of working in the Senate. And prior to that, she served four terms in the the state House. Um, Turning the page onto uh, this past year, um, we've been talking a lot about the state budget on this program. And this year, um was a long road with some unexpected turns. Um, now that we're beyond that, what is your take on how the bu- the, the process of the state budget went this year?
1: Um, every state budget process differs from the one before. Just when you think you've got it nailed down and you know what's going to happen, somebody throws you a curveball and you're just scrambling to go, okay, where are we now? And it was exactly that way this session as well.
0: Mm. And so any, I know we, with Medicaid expansion, we were all kind of cracking open the champagne back in May and saying, okay, March. they just passed the March. March oh, it was 27th. March, right. Oh, that's right. Um, and then going, uh, saying, okay, just got to pass the state budget. And then there was all this positioning. Should they then tie that to the casino bill Mm -hmm. and all of that but thankfully we are we are beyond that um what are just quickly what are some of the elements of the state budget that you want north carolinians uh, to know about that you think are important
1: well particularly for your audience uh, there's i would just say aarp that is a real a really respected presence in the legislature has, has once again done a great job through years of advocacy to, to make a, a big have a big impact on the budget. I want to tell you about a few of those. Uh, some key consumer protections were enacted uh, into law so far this year uh, in addition to the budget. Um, in the budget, it was $10 million to the Housing Trust Fund for home repairs and, and or accessibility modifications to help seniors stay in their homes, super important for all of us, another $70 million over two years for workforce housing, which we interpret to mean uh, that includes low and moderate income senior housing, and work uh, beyond the budget even through regulators like the Department of Insurance to help scale back unfair housing and auto insurance rate hikes, you know, the kinds of things that just just um, cut at your monthly budget, particularly when you're on fixed income, that can really make a huge difference in your quality of life. So I, I would say in the healthcare space that AARP really helped score some big victories for healthcare. And one of those uh, in addition to Medicaid expansion, of course, was to increase the personal needs allowance for nursing home residents from $30 to $70 to help pay for items like toothpaste, postage stamps, and, uh, you know, those things that that you need and want but don't have the money for. That That's a big win, as well as an increase in the... Um, Medicaid rates for private duty nurses both in skilled nursing facilities nursing homes as well as home from $45 an hour to $52 an hour. Now the industry needs that rate actually to be $65 an hour so we didn't hit the mark on it but with every year comes a new budget opportunity and I'd like to think we'll get there next year.
0: Yeah yeah there were some big wins and uh, thank you for the words about ARP and it's it's I have to say again, you know, touching back on that bipartisan spirit that's there, you know, we've had a Republican senator who was on a program back last month talking about the budget and the same, very, very same items he was highlighting as successes. And it's just very refreshing, again, to see uh, healthcare care uh, moving forward and and and, and taking some important steps forward um, Mm -hmm. as far as funding goes for some important things. Now, you are the first nurse practitioner to serve in the State Senate.
1: That's right. I'm the first nurse of any kind to serve in the Senate, and the first nurse practitioner to serve in either chamber. That's
0: right. That's right, yes. Um, Even more impressive than what I said. So how does that your background and your experience uh, influence how you look at issues and how you work on them and, and and. keep your composure and sometimes what's a, a difficult uh, right. uh, work, work
1: environment? I think there are two ways in which my, my, back, my 36 years as a nurse practitioner really served me well in the legislature, and one is content and the other is process. I'm certainly seen as a healthcare content expert. I'm the only healthcare professional uh, in the Senate. We have a wonderful retired veterinarian, And so I'm the only health care professional in the Senate of any kind. So I'm seen as a content expert by both caucuses. And I'm frequently asked in committee, outside of committee, and certainly in my caucus, my opinion about bills that have to do with health care, both health care outcomes, quality, delivery, financing, you name it. I don't have all the answers, but I know how to get them. Um, And then in terms of process, you know, nurses in general are really good process people. We're good at analyzing data and coming up with, you know, identifying the real problem at hand versus superficial problems, Uh, identifying solutions, and then uh, evaluating how good, how well those solutions worked. We're good with people. We're good at reading room. We're good at helping people uh, bridge their differences and navigate those. We're good at helping people uh, talk with each other and negotiate. And I have found that every, every bit of that, I use it every day. And it's because I'm a nurse and I've had over four decades of nursing experience that that I'm not intimidated by these situations. And plus, I worked in corporate America for 29 years. You throw those two things together and it's like, you know, I have to be courageous every day, but it's another day at the office. <laughs> mm-hmm. During
0: the break, you, 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 you made a comment um, about how your work as a nurse practitioner kind of toughens you up for, you know, the... Dealing with the, the posturing and the, the, and, the, and the politics that come with the role. Can you talk just a little bit about that, what you meant by that? Sure. I, yeah.
1: Sure. I think, you know, politics is politics and you can't take the politics out of legislating. Um, but some of the problems that we elevate to problems and, you know, they're just, we make them we make it a problem. Mm -hmm. And in my experience in family practice, where I had to give people really bad news sometimes, I had to tell women they had breast cancer. I had to tell parents their children had autism. I had to tell people their life was going to have to change because of a condition they had. I, I recognize a big problem when I see one. And I recognize the times when we're making our own problems. And so it helps me to stay grounded and to keep my perspective on what's real, what's deserving of my attention, what's deserving of my angst. And I'm able to manage that a little better than some folks are because I have that experience and perspective. And it makes me, I'm very grateful for it uh, very much every day.
0: I think that's so important and it's so significant, uh, not only because in the way that it helps you to kind of keep those trivial things mm-hmm. in perspective or what, being what they really are, but also it's a reminder um, to our listeners here that our elected officials, especially here at the state government level— You know, you're real people and you have working, working lives and experiences and families. And when you hear about so much ugliness that's out there where people get hate mail and threats and things like that because of politics, you know, it's like they unfortunately put elected officials in this box as to who's this is who they are completely and they're nothing else outside of that box of a politics or a political mm-hmm. office but really human beings just like the rest of us working lives uh, you know living your lives working for your families helping people uh, sometimes as you do as a nurse practitioner navigate some really difficult situations
1: life-changing situations and, and the other thing that helps me as a nurse is I, I really believe this everybody's doing the best they can at any one time, you see seeing their best behavior sometimes because they're struggling with something else that you don't know about. So you have to have some assumption of positive intent on behalf of people. And when you do that, of course, you get it back in return Mm -hmm. because I'm doing the best I can at any one time, too. But that doesn't mean I'm going to do anything perfectly. But I need the ability to do it imperfectly so that it just gets done.
0: Mm -hmm. Great. Senator Gail Adcock, thanks so much uh, for your service and for being here on the program again. It's, it's always a pleasure to talk with you.
1: I'll come back anytime.
0: Great. We will invite you again, won't we, <laughs> Jason? <laughs> well, folks, that is a wrap for us. Thank you so much to Senator Adcock for being with us. Thank you to Jason Kong for production. Thank you for listening. This has been AARP Without Limits. I'm Mike Olander with AARP North Carolina, signing off.